Waiting for God. That's our series over Advent. And as we think about that today, I wonder, are you feeling like finally the World Cup is here? The waiting is over. The tournament has started. You might have had different thoughts and feelings about it, but the football's been good. It's up and running and we can enjoy that. Um, are you thinking about Christmas and waiting for Christmas and preparing your uh, meals and thinking about your gifts that you're going to buy and your family gatherings? Are you waiting and are you full of anticipation, knowing that soon it is here? I was with some church leaders earlier today and they were talking about their first carol service being today on the first Sunday of Advent. Well, we're going to have to wait a few more weeks for Barton's first carol service. So, Either way, we're in that season of preparation, of anticipation, of excitement. Uh, others in our congregation I know have been really excited about Cho The Chosen Series 3 coming out. Some people have gone to the cinema and seen it. Others of us will have to wait until it's released at the start of December on the app or on YouTube or whatever platform you want to watch it on. There are so many things in our life that we look forward to, that we wait for, we anticipate, we're excited about. And when they come, sometimes our excitement um, is, is being really due and, and worthwhile and, and we, we, we love it. And at other times we feel let down. And even though we've had this great anticipation, we feel a sense of dissatisfaction. And there are other areas of our life that we are uh, longing for something maybe not so positive. Uh, we, we long and we wait while there's a conflict in Ukraine for the end of that. We long for peace, we long for rest and the support of those that are in real suffering and are vulnerable. And as we come to this theme about waiting for God, what are you waiting for? Is it a good thing? or is it the removal of a bad time? Waiting can be positive, with anticipation it can be tough. Uh, in the last few weeks, I've uh, in our family had we've had two birthdays that we've celebrated, and that's been really good. Um, but with each one, I've had to say uh, there are a few less presents than normal. Uh, we're not going to be as extravagant in the way we celebrate this. We're going to have fun. We're going to be creative. It's going to be good. But the gift has already been received, and as some of you know, we are now the new owners of a puppy. And for every birthday that's coming up in this year, and if not the next few years, we'll be saying, don't remember your main present you received a few months ago, uh, the wonderful young little puppy that we have that's growing. Your present, your gift that you've been excited about, that you are anticipating is already here. In fact, the waiting's over. The gift is with you. And hopefully it's going to be beyond your imagination. It's going to be a joy to behold. That is still being tested. Good days, bad days. Either way, the gift is here. And as we think about waiting for God, a point that I want to make and help us to understand is there's an element where we're waiting for God, but there's also an element where we're waiting with God. The gift is here. We're waiting with God as we wait for God to bring about the fullness of his purposes. And as we approach this season of Advent, as we're very much in it now, we wait for God. We remember to wait for the coming birth of the, the King Jesus through the narratives of the Gospels. But we wait beyond that now because the King has come. He has been born. Jesus is has come and died on a cross and risen again. And one day he will return and we await the second coming, the coming of the King of Kings. But as we come to the passage today, 
in Acts chapter one, we realize that Jesus is speaking to his disciples post-resurrection on the eve of his ascension and is saying that they are going to have to wait for something. And this is a gift beyond the expectations that they have. A bit like the expectations of my family to have a puppy, this great gift, this enjoyable thing that's beyond a gift maybe than they've received before. The disciples are called to wait, to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's pick up the account in Acts chapter 1 and we'll read down to verse 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So we have two waitings, the waiting of the gift of the spirit that is to come in a few days and the waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. At some point he will descend like he has ascended in the clouds in the same way, in this marvellous moment in the skies. What are you waiting for at the moment? Waiting for Christmas, a birthday, waiting for peace on earth rather than the conflict that's going on in Ukraine and in many other areas of the world. Waiting for England or Wales or another country to win the World Cup. Are you waiting for a great experience? What are you waiting for? Well, for the disciples, they were asked by Jesus. In fact, they were commanded to wait a bit longer for a few more days as it says in the verse there verse four and five wait for a few more days before the gift of the spirit now throughout the history of the old testament we discover that the people of israel are, are waiting for things they get good or maybe not always at waiting that is a part of their identity as as a people to be a waiting people there's Old Testament prophecies in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Jeremiah. There's the words of Jesus in John 14 to 17. Loads of examples in Luke's gospel about the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Spirit coming, being on the anointed servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then also being a gift to be experienced and enjoyed upon the people of God. And so now the disciples are waiting for this moment when the Spirit will come and fill them, will baptise them, will overwhelm them, immerse them, drench them 
empower them extravagantly be a gift beyond their expectation, beyond their imagination. But they didn't know how long. And in these verses, all we're told is that in a few days, a few normally means two or three, doesn't it? Maybe four at a stretch. It's a slightly vague, open um, quantity of time. And in the end, they would be waiting for 10 days following the ascension of Jesus and these words and the arrival of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Why, why 10? Well, 10 is quite a significant number um, in the Bible. And we discover that as a part of the way that God reveals his spiritual purposes through physical things. And in, in, in this case, through a number, through the number of days. See, time matters. 10. We had 10 commandments. But even before that, in Genesis 1, there were 10 uh, times it says God said. So God says 10 things in Genesis 1. There's 10 commandments, 10 plagues that preceded the commandments as the people were rescued from Egypt. The Passover lamb was selected on the 10th day of the first month. And the day of atonement would be on the 10th day of the seventh month. The people were called to give a tenth, a tithe to God. There are loads of different ways. And here we have on, in 10 days, the Holy Spirit will come. It seems to be a number that is associated with God's authority, with completion, with order, divine blessing. Well, there's no greater divine blessing than the very presence of God to come upon his people. And in previous accounts of the people being called to wait, the people of Israel have been very bad at that. I think of Mount Sinai, Sinai when, when Moses went up the, the mountain to gain the Ten Commandments and the people were called to wait for his return. And after a number of days, they gave up waiting and they created a golden calf and worshipped that instead of waiting patiently for Moses to come and that mo great moment of God's revelation through the word. On, written on, on stones, on tablets. See, it led, that waiting period led to apostasy, really. It led to idolatry. Do we ever give up waiting for God? Do we feel like it, he's just taking too long? Are we tempted to form other gods? Maybe we are. Maybe I am. The gods of entertainment to fill my need before Jesus comes. The gods of lesser gifts that aren't quite his very presence. See, gifts let us down, don't they? God's gift, the gift of himself, will never let us down. See, waiting is hard. It can feel long. But waiting is an opportunity to demonstrate our faith. And that's what the disciples needed to do as they waited for the day of Pentecost, the promise to be fulfilled. And it would be a far better gift than they'd ever experienced before. It'd be the gift of the very presence of God with his people. So I want to just for a moment pause and ponder, who is the Holy Spirit? Why is this gift such an extravagant, wonderful, beyond imagining gift that would transform the mission of God's people? Think about uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. You see, God is one. There's only one God. Father is God. Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son. 
The son is not the spirit. The spirit is not the father. They're all equal and yet distinct persons of the Trinity. And they all have a role to play. You can read our statement of faith on our website. It's on the, the about Barton bit. And it says this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been sent from heaven to glorify Christ and to apply the work of salvation. He convicts sinners, imparts spiritual life and gives a true understanding of the Bible. He indwells all believers, bringing assurance of salvation and producing increasing likeness to Christ. He builds up the church and empowers its members for worship, service and mission. Wow, what a gift. How we need the gift of the Holy Spirit as a church community. How the disciples in this period of time needed the gift of the Holy Spirit and what a blessing he is transforming, empowering, indwelling the people of God. Another Christ, a paraclete, one that walks alongside us, a helper, a counsellor, a comforter, an encourager, an advocate, God with us, never to leave us or forsake us. That is the extravagant gift, far greater than a puppy, far greater than a present you might be anticipating at Christmas, far greater than a World Cup and experience or anything else you've got lined up in 2023. The gift of the Spirit trumps all other gifts. He is a gift beyond our imagination. And that was true for the disciples and it would transform their experience of their relationship with God. See, Jesus would leave them, but not leave them as orphans, but they would have to wait. And this is where we find them now, waiting. But following the waiting and following Pentecost, this is the transformation that happens. They go from fear to boldness. They go from a room to the streets. They go from um, speaking about what Jesus taught to preaching and seeing the word transform many. From one tongue to tongues being spoken. From 120 maybe 500 converts to 3,000. From a hope to a community of action, from lame to walking, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is the impact of the Spirit. And 2,000 years later, here we are in Canterbury and Faversham and East Kent in the UK. And yet thousands and thousands, millions of people follow this Jesus and whose lives have been changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, we need the Holy Spirit today, this gift waiting for God. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Have you received him? If you are a believer, then you have. But do you are you growing in the gifts of the Spirit, in the knowledge of the Spirit, in the awareness of the love of God for you as he glorifies Christ? by indwelling you and empowering you and transforming you. That is what was to come for the disciples. But until that moment, they had to wait. You see, Christ has commissioned them in verse six to eight. We read of that, didn't we? That the Spirit would come and empower them in the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. They would be filled with this Spirit. They'd be emboldened to be his witnesses. And they would be transformed by that. And that would all come following his ascension. So what's the implication? What's the outworking? What are they meant to do in this waiting period? You see, this waiting period was not just sitting around in a room, twiddling their thumbs 
playing solitaire or whatever game they had. This waiting period is actually active. It was doing something, not nothing. And yet it was marked by this waiting, this trusting for the promise of God to be fulfilled. And so we've got this waiting in view of a great unimaginable gift, this gift of the spirit. And for us, we have maybe received the spirit and our eyes are on waiting for the coming Christ, which is also alluded to in this passage. The gift of the spirit is like a seal for the gift of the very person of Christ and his return at the end of the ages. But until then, we don't wait for God simply. We wait with God in the now because his spirit has come. The disciples were waiting for God, God's spirit. They were waiting for the kingdom. And that would come fully through the work of the spirit in and through the early church. And so we wait for something great, but we also wait in view of a deep longing for change, a desire for no more troubles and sufferings, for peace, for God's kingdom in its fullness. And that's true for places like Ukraine. That's true for places like the Middle East and Palestine. That's true for any number of places in uh, our world that we're aware of. And maybe that's true for you in your life and your broken relationships. We wait for the fullness of peace to come. We might experience some of that and the disciples would experience some of that, but they would be persecuted and they would be threatened. There would be troubles. And Jesus' words to them was, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. In fact, receive my peace, the Holy Spirit. So how do they wait well? That is the question I want us to look at now. How do they wait well until the day of Pentecost? And what is the impact of the Spirit after that? Well, there's a few areas that I think that they wait well. We'll look at the passage that I read and a few verses on to help us see that. Firstly, we wait, we obey as we wait. Jesus, you might have noticed, said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father, the gift of the promised Holy Spirit. He says, wait in Jerusalem. Don't go elsewhere. Don't return to your fishing nets and the Sea of Galilee. He says, wait in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what they do. They are obedient. They know that they need to fulfill scripture, that God will keep his promises. But by that happening, they need to stay put in Jerusalem. And that's the, the place that the spirit will come upon them. They didn't really know how that would happen. They didn't know what would happen. They just knew they needed to wait for God to reveal himself and fulfill this promise. And so they start in obedience. They returned to Jerusalem, a Sabbath stay walk. It was only a couple of kilometers, but you couldn't walk too far on a Sabbath stay. Um, and they wait in that room together. The disciples, and it's thought that maybe a, about 120 of them. So it's been a big, big house, um, household area. The women, the disciples, and the other believers at that time. And actually, this is significant because this is this is a period of a festival, the Pentecost festival, the, the gathering of people from all nations would come, Jewish uh, believers from the dysphoria, and, and they'd gather for this festival. And as they gathered, um, God would bring the day of Pentecost about the coming of the spirit, this ingathering. And it would be like a reversal from Babel to bring about 
the kingdom of God. It would fulfill the law in its truest sense. But what I want to focus on is the fact that the disciples obeyed Jesus's words. They returned to Jerusalem and they waited. They might have been might have been pulled back to their roots, their families, their contexts after Jesus' ascension, but they didn't. They believed his word and they obeyed his word. And I wonder, how are you and I practicing obedience in God's word today? Are we taking God as his word and obeying him, even when we don't know how he's going to answer and fulfill his promises fully? Even when it doesn't make sense and we feel like it might not be the right thing, are we obeying him because it is his word? You see, Advent is about obedience. It's about marking a, a period, a season with patient listening and expectation of what is to be fulfilled. We look ahead to Christmas and the coming king. We look ahead to the second coming and the coming king of kings. How are we obeying God until that happens? And the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. We've received the spirit. The, the disciples here and the women that gather and meet, they wait. There's all sorts of examples in culture of how we obey or disobey. Think of the World Cup at the moment and FIFA's rule against the One Love armband and the FA and the English team and other teams deciding on whether to defy that or not. At the risk of a yellow card, at the risk of a fine or a sanction, the Iranians, should they sing the national anthem? They didn't. What would be the impact because of the evil regime that they are under? I read a story about a pastor in India on the Sunday, the 11th of November, Pastor Bajnu Salam, who was dragged out of his service in Kosalana village in Chatsagara, India. He was dragged out because he was preaching the gospel. He was beaten publicly and had to go to hospital along with some other church members because he was preaching the gospel. Who do you obey? The local laws of your village or the word of God to preach Christ and him crucified? Wow. Who do I obey? How do I obey the word that God has given to pray for persecuted believers, to preach the gospel, to proclaim Jesus, to be a witness in Jerusalem, my Jerusalem, my Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The disciples obeyed. While we wait, we get on and obey. While we wait, we pray. And that's exactly what they, we find in verse 14. Um, actually, from verse 12 to 14 in Acts chapter 1, we see that the apostles returned to Jerusalem um, they gathered together in a room and they all joined together constantly, verse 14, in prayer, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. A group of them are praying. Prayer was their priority. They weren't instructed to pray by Jesus. They were instructed to return to Jerusalem. What did they do while they wait? Just play solitaire? No, they prayed. They gathered constantly in prayer. It became their devoted habit, their godly rhythm. They sought God in their waiting. They prayed for his mercy. They prayed for the fulfillment of the promise, knowing that the spirit would come in a few days. In fact, it was 10. I mean, it must have been hard after day four or five, like, God, are you going to show up? Are you going to move? Are you going to fulfill your word? Day nine, we just keep on praying, guys. We keep in this room. We keep going. And then day of Pentecost came. 
See, this was about persevering, and this was also about unity. They gathered together, were of one mind, one accord. And later in the gospel, in chapter 2 and chapter 4, not the gospel, but the book of Acts, chapter 2 and chapter 4, we read about how they were devoted to all sorts of things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to prayer. Prayer was at the heart of the early church. And that happens even before the Spirit comes. When the Spirit does come and they're filled with him, they pray even more so. And rooms get shaken as they pray for God to act and move in their context. Wow, imagine Barton being like that. A church where every week was a focus week. A week of prayer and worship. Our life groups always had prayer as something that was a central feature that constantly happened. It wasn't pushed out to the last two minutes or sometimes overlooked. Praying happened where Sundays weren't just a gathering of a community, but they were a prayer gathering. You see, God is a relational God and prayer is us listening to him, speaking to him, being with him. While we wait, we obey. But while we wait, we pray because we believe that God, prayer changes things, that God in his sovereignty will bring about his purposes without our prayer, but through our prayer, because our relationship with him matters. He loves to be with his people. He loves to uh, move through our praying. And so we are called to pray, not just for the financial stresses of our times, but for the good news of Jesus to be known by unbelievers, even if it means you're an Indian pastor and you might be beaten for it. You might have to go to hospital for it. And these are tough times. But in this season of Advent, yes, we obey. We seek to practice God's word, but we also pray. And maybe that at the moment means praying for peace in Ukraine. Maybe it means praying for our neighbours as we seek to give them an invitation to attend a carol service. Maybe it means praying with others when we can't really find the words. And in Romans chapter 8, we read a bit about this. And I think this context is important for us to grasp. You see, the phase that we're in post-Pentecost, but pre-Christ's return, is tough. Verse 18 of Romans 8 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated for its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You see, we are kind of groaning and frustrated, but so is creation by the troubles around us. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And then verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes through our wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. See, the frustration, the longing, the waiting, the praying into that for peace in our troubled times, the praying for God to come back through his Son and make all things new. We can't find words sometimes. 
it's hard. But the Spirit intercedes through us when we can't find the words. The Spirit is praying. And so we wait for God and we have the Spirit and he waits with us. So we wait well by being obedient and by being prayerful. And as we do that, we pray in the Holy Spirit that our heart would be changed and that God would use our prayers to bring about his kingdom. But we also find in this in this chapter that as well as waiting obediently and prayerfully, the disciples search the scriptures as they wait. You see, what's happened is that Judas betrayed Jesus, uh, Jesus and they were only down to 11 apostles. And to fulfill scripture, they needed to appoint someone to be the 12th guy. They knew their scriptures and they studied their scriptures to figure out who that would be. Uh, verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. And he goes on to say, but this Judas now um, has died, he's betrayed and his place should be filled with another that has witnessed Jesus's teachings and been with us from the start. How do they discern that? Well, they pray, they use their common sense, but they also search the scriptures. In fact, they jump to Psalm 69 and 109 to, dis to, to discover that they should appoint someone for that vacant position. And that's exactly what they do. They study this word, they search the word, and in their waiting, they don't just obey, they don't just pray, they read the scriptures and they fulfill God's word as they feel challenged. And in the end, they appoint um, not Joseph, but Matthias. And he's the one that after casting lots will fill that gap. How are you and I seeking scripture as we wait? We might not be trying to fill a place in the apostolic band, but we are serious about doing what God's word says faithfully. And to do that, we need to read it. And that actually is a spirit-filled um, opportunity for us, as well as the spirit helping us in praying, the spirit helps us in reading God's word. And that helps us as we make decisions, applying godly wisdom, using godly guidance, as we pray, as we read, as we reason, as we think just like the disciples needed to. So while they waited for the day of Pentecost, they searched the scriptures and they came to a decision and they prayed into it. How are you preparing for Christmas? How are you preparing to celebrate the coming King Jesus? A part of it should involve reading the Bible. And maybe you've come across a new Advent devotional or an Advent um, reading plan on your Bible app. Use it keep to it. Pray that God would help you prepare your heart well. I've come across a new one called The Coming King by J.C. Ryle, and I'm excited to start that on the 1st of December. There are loads out there. I know the kids and youth teams are going to be distributing, certainly Ross and Soraya, distributing um, something called The Adventure of Christmas by Ed Drew, a great family devotional. What a great way of growing and waiting well, growing in faith together, waiting well as we prepare to celebrate. But this isn't just about the season of Advent. This is the waiting of the coming great gift of Jesus's second coming. So, so that means 
regularly forming a routine and a habit to study, to read, to pray in the word of God in our heart so that we can wait well with God by his Holy Spirit. What else do we see? We've got an obedient uh, group of believers. We've got a prayerful uh, group as they're uh, studying the scripture. The last thing is a trusting group of believers who wait because they know that the Holy Spirit will come. And so they do cast lots. Now, you might think, well, that's a bit weird. That's a bit Bible-like, isn't it? Old Testament. Actually, it was an evidence that they trusted God. You see, as they applied wisdom, common sense, the scriptures, prayer, they then come to this conclusion um, from verse uh, 23. They nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. You see, they trusted that God knew everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Casting lots was an act of faith, act of trust in a sovereign God who knows the heart of man, who had been hearing the prayers of the people. And so they trusted God. In their waiting, they trusted God. This wasn't a gamble. This wasn't a risk. This was saying, God, here are two men that qualify. You decide. And that was the means. Now, we don't do that nowadays when we appoint elders or when we figure out who's going to be on team for kids or who's going to run coffee. We use the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us and he guides us in his word and in prayer and through circumstances. But this was before the gift of the Holy Spirit had come upon them. And that's why we see it. And we don't see the casting of lots as a way of seeking God's guidance after this in a way that we should follow in practice. But it does beg the question, how do we demonstrate trust in God? And I would say it means sometimes we need to take a step of faith. When he has led us and guided us in scripture, when we have prayed and reasoned and thought, we then need to apply trust and act in faith. So waiting for God involves obedience, it involves prayer, it involves scripture, and it involves an act of faith, it involves trust. How are we demonstrating that in this Advent season? But the good news is that we don't just wait for God, we wait with God because we have the Holy Spirit in us if we are born again believers. The disciples had this to come and on day 10, the day of Pentecost would enable them to live in the power of the Spirit, transformed by the Spirit and able to be witnesses of Christ to bring glory to his name. That is where we are at now. We can do those things. We can enjoy his presence in us. You see, the Holy Spirit is worth waiting for if you don't know him. It's worth growing in and experiencing and rejoicing in for you and for me. This isn't something that just super good Christians get to enjoy and experience. This is for all believers. The baptism of the Spirit is the filling of the Spirit that comes when we are regenerated, when we're born again and we grow in the Spirit as we seek him in our prayer life, in our reading of scripture, in our experience of the gifts. We never arrive. There's always more of God to know and enjoy. And the call for you and me is to grow 
in the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ to bring glory to him. And that's what waiting for God looks like in this passage. We wait obediently. We wait in prayer. We wait in the word. And we wait as we trust that the Spirit is with us now. But you might think, well, I don't often experience the Holy Spirit. I don't often feel like my prayers and my obedience and my reading makes much difference. Well, I want to say that, that the Spirit's presence is a sanctifying work in us. He has done that saving work and then we do a growing in the Spirit. And we go through seasons where we feel closer to God and further away from God. And Advent is a, a period in the calendar where we get a chance to try and seek to draw closer to God again. And I'd encourage you to do that and to wait well for God by doing those things, seeking what area can you be more obedient in? What area of your life can you, how can you pray constantly? How can you study the scriptures and grapple? How can you trust and act in steps of faith in this season? And as we do that, we know that we're not, our salvation isn't based on experiences of God. Experiences of God by the Holy Spirit affirm our salvation. They encourage us. They build other believers. And we see evidence of that through the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. But let's remember that the gift of the Spirit is a greater gift than any other. And as we do that, we consider one day the great gift of Christ coming back. And as he comes back, we set our eyes on the King of glory who will bring about his kingdom. He'll restore his kingdom in a way that will be transformational and all things will be made new. It'll be the greatest gift to enjoy forever. The very presence of God with his people. At the moment, we have the seal of that by the gift of the Spirit. And one day, we'll see him face to face. He's preparing for us a mansion with many rooms, a city paved with gold, a kingdom of peace and righteousness, a garden bursting with new life, flourishing and everlasting. And until then, we wait with obedience, with prayer, studying the scripture, trusting in faith that one day Jesus is coming back and all of that is empowered by the Holy Spirit.